Thanks for joining us today. We love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that online at fellowshipgj.com. Pick the giving option that works best for you and help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thanks for joining us and enjoy today's message. You know, the book of Acts in chapter 1, verse 8, um, records the last thing that Jesus says right before he ascends into heaven. So Jesus dies on the cross for us. He, he's buried in a tomb. Three days later, he raises again. And, and as he's risen again, he's walking around and he's speaking with his apostles, his disciples. He's, he's teaching us things. And I want to dive right into the very last thing he says before he ascends into heaven. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Could you imagine this scene with me for just a moment? Okay? Um, the disciples, they've witnessed a lot of cool things. They've witnessed Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. They know this is the Son of God. They know this is the, the one who was there at the creation of the universe. They know who it is. And, and Jesus is saying, okay, guys, gather up, huddle up. I want to tell you what I'm going to have you do, okay? This is the game plan. What we're going to do now is I'm going to send you to the ends of the earth. And then Jesus disappears. And I don't know if you have ever had a moment like this, one of those deer in the headlight looks like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> I can imagine the disciples kind of looked at each other and had the question like, well, now what? Right, I mean, here's a group of guys, they've, they've never really traveled anywhere. They've, they, they go on foot everywhere they go. So, so to go 10 miles is a big deal. To go to the next city, that is a huge deal. And Jesus just said, here's the plan. I'm going to send you to the ends of the world. And now he disappeared. Talk about a statement that would make you ask the question, um, now what? What do we do now? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I believe right now that your Holy Spirit wants to speak to us and breathe encouragement and life into this room. And I just pray that right now you get me out of the way, but instead you'd use me as a voice box and that before we leave here, we would understand so much more of your plan and your love for us, God. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. My goal today is to just speak to you as a pastor. Can I do that? for a little bit this morning. I believe that this is a message that will encourage you, but not only will it encourage you, this could save you a lot of money for that you would have to pay a counselor later in life, right? Like, because we're, we're gonna look at a question here that comes up over and over and over again, and it's the question, now what? What do you do when you don't 
know what to do. People pay big time money to sit down, $150 an hour, sit down and say, well, I don't know what to do. What should I do next? And we tell our story just for them to say, why don't you come back and ask me the question again next week so you can pay me another 150 bucks, right? And like we, we go through life asking this question, what, what do you do when you don't know what to do? Have you ever had one of those now what moments? I think for every one of us, it doesn't matter the stage of your life, you've experienced it. Maybe it was when you you were finishing up high school and you've, you've been is so excited and plan on being graduated and then you know what it feels like where you receive the diploma and you walk out of the school and you feel freedom from school and then all of a sudden there's this shock that hits you. You're like, uh, now what? <laughs> right, does does that mean I got to get a job? What do I got to do? We get excited about marrying someone and we, uh, we look forward to the wedding. We, we plan the ceremony and then you wake up next to your spouse the, the day after your wedding and you look at them and, and you, and now what? <laughs> like, well, what do I do as a married man now, right? Like, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't ready for this. I was ready for the, the wedding, but not the marriage. I can remember probably one of the most shocking now what questions we ever had um, in mine and Amelie's relationship is right after Rachel was born, our firstborn child. Um, when we're at the hospital, I'll tell you, that's the easy part. And the nurses come in there and they tell you what to do. They're like, you change your baby's diaper and they nearly, you feed and let me help you a little bit. You do all this. Then they put you in a car and they say you should leave. And we go home and then we ended up, we sat, I remember the, the, it, vividly, I remember we get into the house and it's like, we're so careful. I got the diaper bag and the car seat and we get in there and Omni takes her out of the car seat and sits down with Rachel and I get everything put away in a neat little spot and sit on the couch next to, next to her and then we, we do the thing where we just, we just kind of look at each other <laughs> like, like now what right and I think for every one of us that are followers of Christ we have these now what moments what, what do I do now because I get a sense there's a lot of us in here that God has been speaking into your identity and he's been trying to ignite something in you he, he's been talking about your passion He's been telling you you're a righteous man. He's been telling you you're going to come out of this, uh, uh, this addictive behavior, this sin pattern. He's telling you that you're going to go into your workplace and be a witness in your workplace. He's telling you you're going to, you're going to make changes and you, you get excited about these things, but you're like, now what? Like, I hear God on Sunday tell me that, that I, things are going to be different, that I'm going to go into my workplace and I'm going to be a witness for him, but now it's Monday and... and and I'm still dealing with the same grumpy boss. Now, 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 now it's Monday and I go back to the same classroom with that happy word teacher, you know? And, and we get there, like, now what? And we have experiences like, oh, two, this last week where, where many of your kids, they, they came home passionate. They come home on fire. We have experiences like First Revival where God lights something in us, but then we wake up the next day and what the tendency can be is we go, since, since like I feel like God wants to take me somewhere special and do something great with me, but I don't know how to get there, so, so now what? Now what do I do? And I want to look at this story today. I want to dive right back into it and take a look at what these 11 apostles did uh, when they didn't know what to do. 
because Jesus just ascended into heaven and said, I'm going to send you to the ends of the world. And, and, and I want to just look at what they did and pull some points out of it that can be encouraging and helpful for you today. So let's go ahead and dive right back into the scripture. We see here in verse 12, it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, of Sabbath day walk from the city. And when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they had been staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group, numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, the scriptures had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number who shared in our ministry. And with the reward he got for, for his wickedness, Judas bought a field where he fell headlong and his body burst open and his, and his intestines spilled out. That's interesting. <laughs> we'll just move on. Verse 19, everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called the field in their language, Akeldama, that is the field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted and let there be no one to dwell in it and may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it's necessary for us to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken from us, was taken from us. For one of those must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So they proposed two men, Joseph called Barabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. So they're talking about, there's two, two good options here, Justice and Matthias. Verse 24, and they prayed. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over the apostolic ministry which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. So here we have the account of the story of the 11 men who were closest to Jesus, who followed him, who, who watched the miracles, who saw his death, his burial, his resurrection, saw everything that Jesus did. They heard, they heard the command of what Jesus was saying to do, that I'm going to send you to the ends of the earth. And we see the account of what they did right after they had this moment of the deer in the headlights look where they look at each other and like, uh, now what? He just told us something huge, and then, then he went to go be in heaven. What, what do we do now? I can tell you, there's been times in my life I've, I've felt like I got behind because I wasn't paying attention. I didn't know what to do because, frankly, I just wasn't paying attention. I, I don't know about you, but I, I probably wasn't the best student in school. Um, like, kids, plug your ears for a moment. But, like, I would sit in the back of the class and just, like, completely ignore the teacher. It was like Charlie Brown. You just say, wah, wah, wah. Because I, I really didn't care for periods of times, but then I would remember there would be times I'd be leaving the class and the teacher would say, remember that assignment is due on Monday. And I'd get out in the hallway and I'd grab one of my friends and be like, what assignment? 
What, what are we talking about? And they're like, you idiot. This is what we've been talking about for the last week, that, that assignment. There's been times I haven't known what to do because I wasn't paying attention. I think we've all experienced that. But I can also tell you there's been times in my life when I was paying very close attention and I didn't know what to do. There's been times in my life where I'm studying. I'm trying to figure it out. I want to do the right thing. Like I'm watching people. I want to do this right the first time. I don't want to have to come back and do it again. And yet I still find myself going, I don't know what to do. Now what? And this is exactly where the 11 apostles are. They've been following Jesus. They've been paying attention. They're taking notes. They wrote this down. Jesus said, this is what you're going to do. They're writing down the, the, the commands from Jesus. This is what you're going to do. We paid attention in class. And then he leaves. And they're going, now what? How do we get there? So what I want to do in the couple of moments that we have left together this morning is just take a couple of very practical steps that the apostles did when they didn't know what to do. You could retitle this message and call it, What Do You Do When You Don't Know What to Do? Because as a pastor, this is why I want to just talk to you as a pastor this morning. This is the most common question I've ever gotten in ministry. Like, I get this question 10 times to every one other question that I get. With people coming up one form or another, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should buy my house or sell my house. I don't know if I should move or stay. I don't know if I should marry her. I don't know what to do. What do you do when you don't know what to do? And I want to take a look at what the apostles did and pull out five points very practically that you can write down that can help you when you find yourself the next time going, I just don't know what to do. I don't know how to make a decision right now. So write these points down with me. Number one, as we look at the the apostles, the first thing that they did was they obeyed God. They obeyed God. Wow, Dan, that seems like a deep, complicated point, right? Well, very easy to write down, but practically it can be very difficult. Because a lot of times... What Jesus tells us to do seems very counterintuitive. Because if you remember what Jesus said that he was going to do with the apostles, he's saying, I am going to send you to the ends of the world. And this is where we go, okay, now I need the game plan. How are we going to get there? If this is modern day time, one of us would be on Priceline. We're looking up tickets. How can I get there the cheapest? Are we going to fly first class? Are we flying coach? What are we doing? How do we get to the ends of the world? In verse 4, as Jesus says, you're going to the ends of the world. Verse 4. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised. This is confusing, Jesus. Why would you tell me you want to send me to the end of the world, but then tell me, sit still? Why would you tell me that you are going to give me a spouse, but then tell me, stay pure? Why would you tell me that that you're going to bless me financially, but then tell me that you want me to start giving and being generous? Well, it's it's, it's counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. It's like it's paradoxical sometimes following the teachings of Jesus where we have the the disciples here. They're they're trying to listen to him, and they're going, okay, we don't know what to do. What Jesus said is to go to the ends of the world, but he said, stay in Jerusalem. And so many people get confused by this. But the apostles have followed Jesus long enough where they recognized, they understood. If Jesus says to do something, do it. 
Because it might not make sense to you right now. And, and we might not understand his plan or his timing. But every time he tells us to do it and we do it, it he's going to bring us to the best, best path. And what we don't want to do is what many of us in this room have done is we go, no, I'm going to do it my own way because it would make more sense to just go to the end of the world. And then we go on a long journey to come back to do the very thing that he first told us to do in the first place. So much of following Jesus can be difficult because it's counterintuitive. Because Jesus taught if you want to be a leader, you need to be a servant. If you want to be great, you have to be low. If you want to receive finances, you have to give finances. If you want to have freedom in your life and you want to have joy in your life, you have to be someone who gives forgiveness. See, some of these things, like, they're just not natural to us. It seems like if someone hurt me, I want, I want to hold on to that. You know, if I want to be rich, I want to hold on to my money. And he's saying, no, 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 my teachings are, are different. What it comes down to is not that the teaching makes sense. It's will you obey me even if it doesn't make sense? And the apostles, after following Jesus so long, found themselves going, we don't know what to do. But what we do know is that we should obey him. So the first thing they did in this story is they, they obeyed him. The second thing they did, the Bible says, they prayed together. They all joined together constantly in prayer. That's, that's verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer. See, there are times um, that we need to get away by ourselves and have a private prayer life with God, where we're talking to God, having coffee with God every day, personally. God, what do you want from my life? But the Bible also shows us that there are also times we need to be praying with other believers, getting together with other people, encouraging one another, praying together. Now, I have people that pray with me before. Every time I come out here on the stage, Amelie prays with me. My father prays with me. Tim and JL. We, we met backstage right before we came out here. The whole worship team together and prayed together. We come together constantly to pray together because we need to pray together. And it's not that we're making this up. It's because Jesus said to. Jesus said in Matthew 18. Again, I tell you, if two of you agree the two of you on earth agree on anything that you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Praise God I have people in my life that will pray with me. I'm so thankful that my wife will pray with me and that, that we have coworkers and friends who will pray with me. Uh, but I recognize there's some of you in this room, you don't have that. You don't have family members who will pray with you. You don't have coworkers. And I want to encourage you today, there's a couple steps. Uh, get connected. You're here in a place of other people who want to get connected with people who can encourage and pray with you. So, so get in one of our groups. Get in one of our classes. Get in our men's group. Get, get in some of our mom's group. Get in some of these studies and get connected with other people who will pray with you. This is one of the reasons why during worship services sometimes we'll call our altar workers to come forward to pray with you because sometimes the things that you've been praying about, Jesus is saying, I want you to come together in agreement with other people and pray with other people. We don't do that just for fun. We do that because Jesus says that he will hear us and he will, he will, the Father from heaven will hear us and do those things when we come and ask in his name. So first they obeyed. The second thing they did is they got together and they started praying together. And then the third thing they did is they went to the word. They went to the scriptures. 
They, they, they got right into the Bible and said, okay, we don't know what to do. I'm sure God said something about this, so let's find out what he said about it. Verse 15 says, in those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago. So I don't know exactly how this looks, but here you got the 120 that are gathered together going, now what? We don't know what to do. Like we, God gave us this big mandate. We're, we're, we're obeying him. We're praying together, but we still don't know what to do. And Peter gets this idea, I'm going to read the Bible and find out what did, what did God say about it. And he looks at it and finds out, wait a minute, in Psalms, David actually talked about this exact thing. David talked about the fact that, that this was going to happen and, and that we need to find someone to take Judas's place. So, so he had direction from God. In this moment now, this is not just a collection of stories. This is now life. This is direction for going. God has a plan for what he wants you to do. And I love the Bible because it speaks about every issue you could ever imagine in life. It talks about everything. Even weird things. I remember years ago, some of you have heard this. Years ago, when Almie and I were younger, I was presented with the opportunity to, to buy a boat with a friend of mine. We, neither one of us could afford the boat on our own, so we got this idea we could co-sign the boat together. And, um, and I know some of you are already shaking your head. Just listen. <laughs> so I think this is a great idea, right? Like it's vacation every weekend. It's going to be awesome. So I, I go to some people around me and I ask, I ask one Christian friend of mine from work, okay? They work here at the church, Christian friend of mine. They believe God. They listen to God. Thinking about co-signing and buying a boat. He's like, man, that is an awesome idea. I love that idea. That's great. I think you guys are going to have so much fun. It's going to be rest, re refueling. It's going to be wonderful. You're splitting the cost together. It's going to be a great thing. I'm like, that's awesome. That's awesome. The next day, I walk into another one of my friends that work here on staff who listens to Jesus and loves Jesus. Said, man, I'm thinking about co-signing and buying a boat. And he goes, you are an idiot. Are you seriously considering co-signing for a boat? That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I'm going, wait a minute. You got one Christian telling me this is a good idea and another Christian telling me this is a bad idea. Have any of you ever gone when you didn't know what to do and you started asking believers around you, what should I do, and you started getting conflicting information? It could be frustrating. And Peter understood this, so he said, I'm going to go to the Word. And I remember that the answer that came out of Scripture for me uh, was instilled in me 10 years earlier. 10 years earlier, I can remember that it was taught here at our church to regularly be in your Bible every day. And one of the easiest ways to do that is to read a psalm a day and a proverb a day. And a psalm is like their, their songs and their prayers to the Lord. And then proverbs are, are, are teachings on wisdom. There's 31 proverbs. There's 31 days in a month. So we were just taught, very simply, whatever day of the month it is, read that proverb. Many of you I know do that to this day. I was in the habit of it at that time. So I've got this struggle going on. I don't know what to do. Okay, this friend says it's a dumb idea. This friend says it's a wonderful idea. I just want to co-sign and buy a boat. I get up and it happens to be the sixth day of the month. In Proverbs 6, 
reads this clearly in verse 1. My child, if you have put up security for a friend's debt, remember I'm talking about co-signing alone. If you have put up security for a friend's debt or agreed to guarantee the debt of a stranger, if you have trapped yourself by your agreement and are caught up by what you said, follow my advice and save yourself. For you have placed yourself at your friend's mercy. Now swallow your pride. Go and beg to have your name erased. Do not put it off. Do it now. Like, man, thank God that I got into God's word today. And it started making me go, I got one friend who's telling me that's a dumb idea. He got that from scripture. I got the other friend saying it's a good idea. I don't know where he got that, but it wasn't from scripture. That's why you can't just be going to other people getting your advice. What the apostles did, they said, we're going to obey God first. We are going to, uh, we're going to pray together and then we're going to search the word. And I'm telling you, every issue you could have ever imagined in life, God has already said something about it. He talks about your sexuality. He talks about addictions. He talks about your work ethic. He talks about your time of rest, your vacations, your life. Everything you could imagine, he has something to say about it. I wonder, are you searching God's word for direction? If you're here today going, I don't know what to do. What do you do when you don't know what to do? I wonder right now, are are you searching the instructions that he already gave you of what to do? That brings us to the fourth thing the apostles did when they didn't know what to do is they used common sense. What? Common sense? How is that a... Is that a church point? I mean, are we, are we talking, we're talking about the Bible. We're talking about theology. They used common sense. Well, unfortunately, unfortunately, I feel like common sense is so underrated in Christian circles. Because in faith communities, we just expect the great. We expect the miracle. But we see here they used common sense. So Peter finds in the word that whether they got to find someone to take Judas's place. Verse 21 says, Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time that Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So, He came up with the common sense idea that we have to find someone if they're going to be a witness among us who's been here the whole time. The Bible didn't say that they had to find someone who's been there the whole time. Where did that come from? That came from basic common sense. If you're going to be a witness, you need to at least have witnessed what is going on. You at least need to know what's going on. And, and, I, and I get frustrated by this sometimes because there's a balance in, in, in following Jesus, a balance in faith that so many of us confuse where we go, we want to be people of faith and we want to pray for miracles. We want to see great breakthrough happen. So we treat common sense as an underrated thing and we pray for miracles and ignore common sense. And we say, I'm in huge debt, and I messed up. So, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray that God will win Powerball. Let me win Powerball. Open up the heavens and give me Powerball. And, and, and instead, common sense would be like, no, just cut up your credit card and stop spending money, right? Why is it we pray for miracles when God is just saying, it's time to use common sense and very clearly here. We see Peter goes, oh, it's common sense. If he's going to be a witness, he needs to be someone who witnessed what was taking place. But 
there's a stretch here in, in Christianity because there are times when it's faith, we obey God when it doesn't make sense, and there's times when we use common sense, we do what is just common and sensible. How do you know the difference? Well, it's all about obedience. Did God say something about it? Because if God said something about it, then you do it even if it doesn't make sense. But if he didn't say anything about it, that's when you use common sense. And both are available to the believer and both are used in this picture. They did something. They obeyed God when it didn't make sense. And then when God didn't say exactly how they were supposed to pick the person, they used common sense to pick the person. That brings us to the fifth point, the fifth thing, when you don't know what to do is they trusted God for direction. They trusted God for direction. See, they had two good options in front of them, Matthias and Justice, and they still didn't know what to do. And, and this was a big deal. Like, it, it was always supposed to be 12 apostles, 12 tribes, 12, right? This is what God wanted. Judas is no longer there, so it's time for there to be a change. It's a big deal. It's got to be filled in. And it says, this is what they did. They cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. So, Are you catching this? Are you saying to trust God and what to do, what we should do is we should flip a coin? We should cast lots and... And that's going to be how we decide because that's what, these, these are Jesus' followers. These are the apostles, right? They, they flipped a coin. And really, this is what any good young Jewish boy would have done, would have learned, would have grown up. This is what kings did, rulers did, priests did, is they believed that God is so sovereign and so in control that if they were just to trust it into God's hand, they could cast the lots, they could flip the coin, they could roll the dice, and God was going to make it fall the way God wanted to make it fall, or the way they didn't have direction. And this is the way for centuries that decisions were made, and it was a way for people to show that, look, I am trusting God. However, this is what you need to catch now, because I am not saying you should go home and make your decision by flipping a coin. Because what scripture shows us here in the book of Acts is this is the last time ever in scripture that lots are cast to make a decision for the believer. Last time in scripture that it was ever okay for someone to flip a coin and say that that must be what God wanted. It was the last time it ever came up in scripture. And this is why we see that after thousands of years of this being the tradition, that, that on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be like tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So what happened from that day forward, what Jesus made available after his ascension into heaven is that he said, you no longer have to flip a coin anymore. You no longer have to, have to cast lots anymore. What I'm doing is I'm sending my spirit to come and be with you and to give you direction. 
So if you will include the Holy Spirit in your life and ask him which way to go, he will give you which way to go. So in Acts, it continues on. In Acts 8, we see the Bible says Philip was led by the Holy Spirit to get into the chariot of the Ethiopian eunuch. In Acts 15, the Bible speaks and says it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and good to us not to burden you. Paul later says that the Holy Spirit forbade me to go to Macedonia. From this moment forward, decisions were made by believers, not on a whim, not by flipping a coin, but by going, what is the Holy Spirit directing me to do? And Jesus is saying to us, he says to us before he ascends into heaven, in John 16, 7, he says, but in fact... It's best for you that I go away. Because if I don't, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, won't come. If I do go away, I'll send him to you. The word advocate here for Holy Spirit is the word paraclete. It means helper. It means advocate. It means intercessor. It means counselor. It means teacher. God is saying, the, the, the third person of the Godhead, you got God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, and he's saying, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you, and the Holy Spirit is going to fulfill a bunch of roles. He's going to teach you. He's going to counsel you. He's going to guide you. He's going to encourage you. He's going to pray for you. He's going to do all these things. It's better, Jesus is saying, that I go away so I can send my Holy Spirit to come and give you direction. Because you're going to find yourself in times and places in your life where you're going, I don't know what to do. Now what? Jesus, you tell me to go, and I don't know what to do. Now what? And now the way that you and I trust the direction of Jesus as we ask the Holy Spirit, God, would you lead me? Would you lead me? Paul teaches us that the Holy Spirit is available to every single person who has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Hear this. He's not available to every single person. He's available to every single person who has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Acts 2.38 says, Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins. Turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ to show that you have received forgiveness of your sins. I wonder, have you done that? Have you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins? Have you been baptized? Have, have you showed that, that you trust in Jesus and your sins have been forgiven by Jesus? Then, the Bible says, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and to your children. And even the Gentiles, all who have been called by the name of the Lord, everyone in this room, this promise is to you, to your kids, to your grandkids. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you don't have to go through life wandering. I wonder what I need to do next. I don't know what to do. What do you do when you don't know what to do? He's saying, just trust me for direction. It's available to you. I can tell you, um, one of the clearest ways I can remember this happening with Amelie and I and God giving us direction where we didn't know what to do is there was a time a couple years ago we were going to buy a house and, and really like we felt like it was we had good options. We could buy the house or not buy the house. We didn't know. Should I do it or not? We could afford it. We, I don't know. 
What do you want to do? We asked people. Some people said yes. Some people said no. We searched the scriptures. We obeyed God. We did all these things. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. We get to this point here. We go, we need to just trust God for direction. And, and the truth is, personally, I wanted to buy the house. That's what Dan wanted. Okay? But, but we realized we haven't got to this point where we trusted Jesus for direction yet. So we stopped. And we both prayed. We said, God... Would you show us? Would you give us direction? Would you give us peace? Would you guide us? Would you lead us? Do you want us to buy this house? And within a week, Omli and I got back together and we said, I don't know, babe. It just doesn't feel right anymore. It's like the peace is gone. I know it's different for other people. I can tell you in my life when the Holy Spirit leads me, he leads me through peace. When I pray about things, Sometimes when I know that there's option A and there's option B, they might both be difficult, but one of them has peace. And a lot of times I can recognize that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. I want to follow the Prince of Peace. Sometimes I have option A and option B, and option A is scary and difficult. Option B is simple, but the peace is over here on option A. I'd rather follow my Jesus through the woods. I'd rather follow my conqueror through the woods any day. Would you stand with me? I want to give you the option right now, the opportunity right now before we leave. I want to give you an opportunity to pray and ask Jesus to be your Savior, to forgive you of your sins. And in doing so, we're also going to ask him that that his Holy Spirit would guide us and lead us through life so that when we find ourselves in the now what moments of life, we're not just wandering, not just hoping, but we're following. So I'm going to pray a prayer, and I want to invite every person in this room to repeat this prayer after me. And we're going to ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins. This is is not just a prayer at the end of the service. If If you're saying these words, you're saying, Jesus, I need forgiveness. I need a Savior. I believe in you. I put my trust in you. Let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I need forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose again so I could have a relationship with you and a home forever in heaven. So today, I put my trust in Jesus Christ. And I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit and to guide me every day of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's give him a big shout of praise before we go today. He's good. He's good. He's good. I love you guys. Hug somebody's neck. Encourage someone before you leave today. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10.9. You can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. 
I believe that you are Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my Savior, to guide my life, and to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this, in your precious Son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time, or if you need prayer, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY or at prayer at fellowshipgj.com. Thanks again. We hope to see you next week.